All right. Good morning, Waypoint. My name is Austin Bensis, and I am one of the student pastors here. And so I'm excited to be up here. Um, so excited that I've like checked my fly a couple times to make sure it wasn't down, if you know what I'm saying. I'm that excited. No, I am. I'm pumped. I'm pumped to be up here, um, especially because today, um, known, by, known by most youth pastors, today is known as National Youth Pastors Get to Preach Day. In fact, this Sunday, yeah, round of applause. That's right, the Sunday in between, you know that Sunday in between like Christmas and New Year's, it's like, do I, do I go to church this morning? Do I, do I just stay home? I mean, do we have leftovers still? I don't know. Just pitch them, all right? If you still have leftovers, come on now. Get rid of those bad boys. But no, I'm honored to be joining my fellow brothers and sisters as they take the stage this morning across the nation with a sermon prepared with hopefully little to zero Gen Z lingo in it. All right, now some of you, some of you might not be entirely sure, but you guys might not know what I mean when I say Generation Z language. So one of my buddies, his name's Carl, um, he's prepared a video for you guys, so why don't you go ahead and check this out. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Carl. So it seems like every other week, the kiddos of Generation Z seem to come out with new slang terms that quite frankly confuse the rest of us older generations. So the goal today is to learn how to speak some of that Gen Z lingo. And joining me today on how to translate some phrases is our favorite spokesperson for the Gen Z kids, my cousin Brock. Say hello, Brock. Brock, say hello. Stop. All right, let's get started. You guys have the Wi-Fi password? All right, Brock. We're going to start with some simple ones. Yeah. Okay. Hello. How are you? Saw. Friends. Fine. Family. Fine jam. It was a fun event. The fest was lit. Okay. Okay. I'm about to leave. I'm finna dip set. Those are some neat shoes. Them kicks are dripping. I would be glad to help, but... My favorite team lost. Dudes took an L. My favorite team lost very bad. Dudes got clapped. He seems upset. He little mad. He seems very upset. He big mad. I like this music. That's a bop. I'm not lying. No cap. I'm sorry that happened to you. Oof. That's an interesting statement. Weird flex, but okay. I'm not a fan of these appetizers. These apps are booty. I completely agree with that statement. Facts. I agree. Yeet, yeet. Excuse me. Yeet. Wow, that's exciting news. Yeet. Congratulations on your baby boy. Yeet. What does yeet even mean? Yeet is yeet. That doesn't help. It's like when fam comes slipping in with their dripping swag, jamming to some sick bop. And no cap, you know these facts are about to be a litty fresh to death. You're like, oh, I'm not big mad at that bitty response. Yeet. I don't get it. Weird flex, but okay. I, I don't know. <laughs> right? So some of you in here are like, yeah, we could, Carl's the best. Some of you in here are like, what in tarnation is that mumbo jumbo? And then some of you as students are like, yeah, I've heard like all of those words. I don't know what they mean, but I've heard them, but I don't get them. Right? 
So students, if you're in here, you guys know we love you, all right? We love the language, at least I do. I don't know about these other people, but that's why I'm a middle school pastor. We love the language. You're coming up. We love your creativity. We love you guys. All right, however, just to be safe for the rest of the people in the room, um, the rest of my message will include zero to little, actually just none, Generation Z lingo in it, all right? So we are just days away from beginning the new year, and before the new year starts, I want to encourage you guys to take some time to reflect on 2019 and to look at ways that you've grown. Hopefully, hopefully not out of your favorite pair of jeans like I have, but in the good ways, in the good ways that you've grown, the ways that you've become a better person, a better Christian, a better parent, a better spouse, a better sibling, a better employee, a better student, then I'd also encourage you to take some time to think about ways you want to be better in 2020. Because a new year can be an opportunity for a fresh start, a new beginning, new life, a new year, new year, new me, right? Hashtag new year, new me, nobody? Some of you know it. Some of us hear this and we think, we think start over? Are you, are you serious? Why would I do that? I mean, my life's not great, but it's not bad. I have no, I have no need for a, for a fresh start, for a new beginning. And then for others of us, the idea of a fresh start just seems impossible. A new beginning? Yeah, right. Man, I'm, I'm tired. I'm weak. My life, my life is just too messed up. Not a chance. God knows that. God is never surprised by our circumstances. In fact, he sent his son into our circumstances. He sent his son Jesus for all of us so we could have a new beginning, new life. So what does a new beginning look like for us in 2020? So before I dive in, if I could just have you guys pray with me. So let's bow our heads. Jesus, I thank you for this morning and I thank you for this opportunity. And I thank you for this community and the people in this room, for your body. God, I pray that this morning your words are spoken and that they reach who they need to reach. I love you, Lord. It's in your name. Amen. Thank you, guys. So if you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to ask you guys this morning to turn to John chapter 3. So John chapter 3. Right, and if you don't have your Bible, some of you have your phones, right? So get your phone out and turn with me. Open up that Bible app. Okay, if you guys don't have the Bible app, come on now. Come on now. Go ahead. Go, it's version Bible app. It's free. It's free. Go ahead and download. You get on the Wi-Fi, the Wi-Fi pass. Get on the down, download the Wi-Fi, whatever. You know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> guys, I, this is how I teach, okay? I'm very different. I'm not, I'm not Nick. I'm not Blair. I'm, I love to have fun. It's totally the core of who I am. So, know what I mean? Not what I say. All right, sweet deal. Now, I want to, let's, let's, let's go ahead and get started here in John chapter 3. Now, there was a Pharisee, or if, I mean, it's up here if you don't want to download the Bible app, all right? Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs that you were doing if God were not with him. 
And Jesus replies, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Pause, I want to stop here for a second, because every time I read this, I'm just like, Jesus, like, come on, man. He's a Pharisee. He's, he's obviously giving you a compliment, like, just take the compliment, bro. Come on, man. But no, at the end of chapter 2, we read and we discover that Jesus, Jesus knows our hearts. He knows who we are and what we need to hear. So knowing Nicodemus, he isn't impressed. He hears this and he isn't impressed. In fact, he puts on his debate pants and he replies to Nicodemus. He says, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Have you guys heard this phrase, born again, before? Anybody? Okay, some of you have. Okay, that's cool. Now, no matter how you've seen this phrase used before, I think it's important that we understand what Jesus meant when he said this to Nicodemus. So, I'm going to teach you the Greek word that Jesus uses here for again. And that word is anothen. Anothen. Say it with me. Anothen. Yes, Jonathan. Not really. Anothen. I thought that would work. It doesn't. Now, does anyone have a footnote next to this word in their Bible? Anybody? I do this with your students. They're way better at this. One person. Thank you, mother-in-law, for raising your hand. (laughs) She has a footnote next to her Bible, all right? So, that is because this word... This word has some nuances. It has some different meanings to it. And it's important that we understand these. Okay? So, anothen could mean again, or it could mean from above. And here, I think Jesus is brilliant. I think Jesus is brilliant because he knows what Nicodemus needs in this moment, right? And so I think he's brilliant here. I actually think he intends the nuance of both here. All right? Nicodemus, he senses, or Jesus senses that Nicodemus needs to be challenged and addressed. So, and he, and he, he, he realizes, Jesus realizes that Nicodemus need, needs to discover something fundam, fundamental about his life. Okay? First is this, that he needs to start over. He needs a new beginning. But also, he needs to recognize that whatever form his new life is going to take, whether he chooses to accept it or not, whatever form it's going to take, it is going to have to come to him as a gift and from an entirely new source, born again and from above. But how does Nicodemus, how does Nicodemus respond in verse 4? What? 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 How can someone be born When they are old, Nicodemus asks, surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Let me start here. Nicodemus, he's not some feeble old man. Like, he gets it, and we'll get there in a little bit, okay? Nicodemus, not in this scenario, Nicodemus obviously doesn't get it, right? He doesn't get it, okay? And the reality is, why? Why doesn't he get it? Because reality would tell us that Nicodemus is a very, very smart man. He's a Pharisee. In fact, he's a member of the Jewish ruling council. This guy would have had the Torah memorized, the Old Testament memorized. He would have had all the traditions and laws memorized. He would have known the words of the prophets. Right? This guy's a very smart man. He is sharper than any of us in the room right now. Nicodemus. 
okay? But he doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. Just like we don't get it sometimes. Because sometimes I think it is more difficult for certain people to recognize that they need to be born anathin. To recognize that their life was a false start. To recognize that they need a new beginning. It is more difficult for people to recognize this when they've never had to rely on anybody else whose lives are pretty well off, who think they are righteous with God because they do all of the things that they are supposed to. So Nicodemus, Nicodemus doesn't get it. So Jesus answered, he says, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. So the first time Jesus says, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born Anothen, I don't know who said it, but nice. Anothen, unless they're born Anothen, Nicodemus doesn't get it. So Jesus tries again, and he uses different imagery and language. He uses imagery and language that Nicodemus would have understood. He would have understood the words like water and spirit. You see, Jesus, again, being the brilliant guy that he is, he, he plays into the Bible scholar that Nicodemus is. So Jesus, he uses words like water and spirit, and he's alluding to, here, he's alluding to at least two passages in the prophets, Isaiah 44 and Isaiah 44 and Ezekiel 36. And these passages refer to a future day when God is going to bring his kingdom, restore his world, and in these two passages, they talk about the coming of the spirit to restore and bring life. So, in Isaiah 44... You have your Bibles? Turn with me, or it's actually don't worry about it, it's up here. And Isaiah 44 goes like this. For I will, Isaiah says this: I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring. And here, here Isaiah, God is here Isaiah is talking about the faithful people of God the faithful people who, have, who are of God who are going to turn from their sins and see that they need salvation, salvation that comes from God alone and only from them, and only from him. So God says, I'm going to pour water on them, and I'm going to send my personal spirit upon them and my blessings upon your descendants. When God pours out, his life-giving presence like water. It brings new life. And do you guys see that here? It goes on in verse four. They will spring up like grass in a meadow, like poplar trees by flowing streams. So Isaiah uses this metaphor that God's people are like this dry, thirsty ground. And when God gives the gift of his spirit, it's going to be like water that brings new life. And then Ezekiel, and Ezekiel, he takes it in a whole other but awesome way, okay? And so Ezekiel 36, Ezekiel says this, or writes this, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, uncleanliness, we're just going to say uncleanliness, 
You shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Here the problem in Ezekiel isn't, isn't dry, parched people. But God's people who have hearts that are dirty, grimy, hard, and impure because they have worshipped false gods who have compelled them to live and act in ways that have dehumanized them, that have destroyed them. So God says, I'm not going to just clean you, but I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to put a new spirit within you. I'm going to give you new life. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. But how? How, God, how are you going to give us new hearts? How, God, are you going to give us a new way to love and a new way to experience you and one another? How? In verse 27, and I, God, Yahweh, will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You see, when the gift of his spirit enters into your life, it's the personal presence of God coming into you. Do you guys know that? It is the personal presence of God coming into you, and when that happens, his spirit begins to change the way that you live. God takes up personal residence inside of you and in such a way begins to influence your thoughts and your actions and your choices. And it's like all of a sudden certain things that you, that you used to do or used to think were okay to do are no longer okay anymore. And in fact, those things, they begin to oppress you and weigh you down when you do them. And that's what Jesus was getting at here. Using language of, of born of water and spirit. Because when God's spirit is poured out, it's going to be a new source of life. A new source of life, Anathan, from above. Nicodemus, you need a new life, man. And it has to come from above. Jesus goes on. He goes on in verse 6. He says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised, Nicodemus, at my saying, you must be born again. Flawed humanity gives birth to more flawed humanity. You can't expect something new from the same exact source, Nicodemus. If you want new life, you need a new source. You need to be born anothen. But Jesus isn't finished. He goes on in, in verse, eight, verse 8. The wind, the wind, so the wind here, the wind, this word, is actually the Greek word pneuma, and the word, for, the word for spirit is actually the same word for breath and for wind. It's fascinating. This, the Greek and Hebrew languages is really neat. So the wind, the spirit, blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where, it's, where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. I can try and be as compelling as I can in explaining these things. But the fact of the matter is, fundamental transformation of the human heart, it can't be engineered. It can't be engineered. I have people in my life that I love very much. 
who are very dear to me, who do not want to know Jesus, who have no desire to know Jesus. And I cannot engineer that in them. I will never be able to engineer that inside of them. And that's what Jesus is getting to. He's saying here that it's this organic, mysterious thing. It's this fundamental transformation that comes from somewhere else entirely. So how does that happen? Or what would bring someone to seek this in their life? And that's where I think Jesus is going here. And look at Nicodemus' response here in verse 9. He's like, huh? How can this be? How can this be? And Jesus, I think Jesus here, is, he might be getting a little heated. I don't know. I wasn't there. But he might be getting a little heated here. He's like, he's like you know what? You called me teacher. You called me teacher. Aren't you Israel's teacher? And you do not understand these things, Nicodemus? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testified what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. Touche, Nicodemus. You came and you said, we know that you are a teacher sent from God. We know the rabbi, the Pharisee, we know that you're a teacher. And Jesus says, we know, because he represents the one from above. He is... God and human, fully God, fully human. So he says, we know. We speak of what we know. We testify to what we have seen, but still you do not accept our testimony. Nicodemus, I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. I have spoken to you of things that you would understand, that you should get, that should make sense to you, but you don't get it. How then will you, how then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. That is Jesus referring to himself. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And this is really profound here. And this is what Jesus has been trying to to get at through this whole interaction with Nicodemus because Nicodemus comes to Jesus and Jesus already knows what Nicodemus' intentions are. Like he knows, he knows this guy's heart. He knows our hearts. He knows what Nicodemus is planning to do and what he's planning to talk about and his intentions and his agenda. Jesus knows. Jesus already knows Nicodemus. He knows what Nicodemus needs and he knows what Nicodemus needs to come to understand and believe And here's where Nicodemus doesn't get it. He doesn't believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Jesus isn't just some teacher sent from God. He didn't come just to share some profound wisdom with you that you can add to your arsenal of knowledge. He didn't just come to share, to add some inspiration to your already pretty good life that's just going to take it to the next level. No, Jesus is here to offer us something else entirely, you guys. He's here to offer us something else entirely. And that something else, something else entirely is entirely what he alludes to in verse 14 with Moses and the snakes in the wilderness. <clears throat> right? Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. So he refers to a time when God's people were in the wilderness and then they decide to rebel against God 
And so these poisonous snakes, these poisonous snakes start, start slithering and, and they start biting God's people. And they start getting sick and dying. So God tells Moses, Moses, build a snake, put it up on a pole so that anyone who is bitten by these snakes can look at it and they will live. I know it's kind of a strange story. One of, one of the stranger ones, right? But there's a reason Jesus refers to this story here. There's a purpose. And it's because this story is about God's people who are in desperate need of life. And the only way they can live is if they look to something as it is lifted up. The only way. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Like Nicodemus, we need to recognize that we need a new life, folks. A new beginning. And it needs to be from a new source, from above, Anathan. For Nicodemus, Jesus was just a teacher. And he is a teacher. He is a teacher, but Jesus needs to be your savior, right? He is a teacher, but he needs to be your savior. In fact, Jesus can't truly be your teacher until he is your savior. And until we can recognize this in our lives, every new year that comes is just like tires spinning in the mud. It's a false start, you guys. And you can try. Every year you can try. You can read the Sermon on the Mount and you can get so excited about it and you can be like, yes, I'm going to do this. I'm going to nail it. It's going to be awesome. And you think you can do it yourself? Good luck. Come 2021, let's have a conversation. I want to know. I want to know how it went. I'll be, I'll be rooting for you. And you might be able to do some of those things or all of those things that Jesus says some of the time, but ultimately you will fail because Jesus knows that in order to accomplish what he is teaching, you are going to need him. You are going to need a savior. You are going to need to be born anothen, friends. You can't do this on your own. And in trying to do so, you're, you're gonna be crushed. You need his spirit poured into you like water. So the dry, parched ground that is our lives without Jesus can begin to have new life. And you think, <laughs> and this is, this is me, and some of us think that if we have Jesus in our life that this, is, this isn't for us too. This isn't for us. Guys, Nicodemus, Nicodemus was literally standing in the presence of Jesus and he didn't get it. He didn't get it. Listen, in all of us, in all of us, there are ways and parts and places of our lives that need new life, that need to be born again. So how? How do I get born again? How do I get born again? And I think that's just about as silly as a question as how did I get born because the metaphor here, you guys, it's, it's significant. You didn't get born, you just were born. Did anyone choose to be born? Anyone in this room choose to be born? Let me know. 
Okay. You didn't get born, you chose to be born, right? So what I do, what we do, is we recognize that someone went through pain and suffering for me. That someone went through all of that to give me life. They went through pain and suffering. So I look to my mother and I'm thankful. Thank you. You went through hell for me. You went through something that was potentially life-threatening and it melts my heart. And just like Moses lifted up the snake and those who looked to it were healed, so we look to Jesus and we say, thank you. You went through hell for me. You suffered for me. You bled for me. You died for me. And it melts my heart. You guys, and that's when Jesus is like, yes. Yes, now I can do something with you. Now let me help you. Let me move in you. Let me heal you. Let me send my spirit upon you. Let me give you life. We're going to move into a time of communion where we come to the bread and the cup. And it's this time where we reflect on what Jesus did for us. We reflect on his body broken for us and his blood shed for us. And it's an opportunity, you guys. It's an opportunity for us to look to him. To look to him and say, thank you. Thank you. I'm going to serve the band communion. And then I'm going to serve the people who are helping me serve communion. But in this time, during this time, I just, I'd encourage you guys. I'm kind of out of the light here. Sorry, light guys back there. 